Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I trust this will be an auspicious reunion, despite our history. Now take your station. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 114, The War Without, The War Within, comes to you now via Agri Transport Boosters. And some news from the fleet, ragtag as it is, Pete, uh, before this episode leaves orbit, let's start with, of course, next Sunday, February 11th in these United States and our friends in Canada, and then uh, Monday the 12th, the season one finale for Star Trek Discovery. Pete, it has been forever and a day since we've had a season finale for Star Trek. I can't believe we are at this it feels like we just got Star Trek back and then we took a little break and then we got it back again and now we're going to lose it and we still don't have a date for season two yet we have a season two. So you know what? I, I will take what I get and I get a finale next week and then we get to pour all over that uh, sometime soon afterward and then hold on tightly to this season and analyze it even further until we get season two also on our radar uh we will be going to see black panther thursday february 15th and uh we'll be we'll be podcasting about it as well the buzz through the roof for this and i think pete it pairs nicely with star trek this this uh this vision of uh representing everyone and and uh and all that so super excited for black panther Absolutely. Can't wait to talk that over with our fantastic listeners. Looking ahead into March, uh, we have the return of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is on hiatus until then. Oh, yeah, we figured that out before anyone else. Thank you very much. And uh, always excited to return to the mothership of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's coming back from space. Star Trek is about to take a pause. It's space adventures. Pete, we're going from many space shows to to like no space shows. I don't know how we're going to be able to deal somehow matt we'll figure it out and i also just mentioned kind of parenthetically i've been jonesing for so much star trek lately i've been rediscovering star trek enterprise the show that i've seen very very uh, little of um maybe that's something that we discuss on our star trek feed once discovery has wound down formally p.s i was kind of lambasted on twitter for questioning <laughs> the visual presentation of the show maybe that's a discussion for another day as well but now for the mission briefing. Our teaser, Matt, begins with the USS Discovery getting its hull properly painted again. And just off the transporter pad here, uh, acting Captain Saru reacts to who he thinks is his former Captain Philippa Georgiou, who is actually an emperor and wants the slave on his knees as she brandishes her phaser rifle. Yeah, and then turning insult to injury, uh, she notes that uh, she was eating on his brethren's uh, entrails just uh, just a day or two ago. And uh, I have to say, Pete, Saru really growing in front of us here in these last couple episodes as a... Uh, 
you know, as a command uh, candidate. I mean, I know he's been been first officer, but as a captain, I guess is the, the, <laughs> the simplest way to put it. He makes a command decision. He transport, transports her to uh, quarters where she's going to be confined. It's done ASAP. Um, and uh, he sends uh, sends her there with a with a, a seal of being top secret. Take that, Mister Transporter Chief. Keep it top top secret or else. Yeah, treason to anyone who utters information here, um, Matt. It's funny. I can't unsee it, and I'm going to do it to you right now. Um, when Doug Jones portrays uh, Saru, when he walks his hands move behind him at a slight angle back and forth. And I can't look at him now and not see it. That's probably to help keep him, uh, to help keep him balanced with those, uh, you know, those heelless shoes that he wears. I think it's part of the performance as far as the perambulation of an alien species. I love it, but I can't unsee it now. (laughs) Well, as a side note, Doug Jones, who in a couple of weeks may be uh, maybe coming off of uh, having participated in a in a uh, best director film with The Shape of Water, his uh, you know he the muse in many ways of uh, Guillermo del Toro. So this is a heck of a year for Doug Jones, man. Absolutely, we are so lucky to have him on this show. Uh, he was told, Matt, by Burnham, there were no Kelpians in the other universe, sliding kind of back into the poor relationship they've had ever since the Battle of the Binaries. We, we had the great connection last episode. Uh, how are you, my friend? I'm going to get you back on the discovery. And now he's calling her a liar. Well, Something to chart as we make our way through this episode is the really novel, really surprising way in which we go from the beginning of this episode, we get to the end, and in a lot of ways we've reset all the way back mm-hmm. to the beginning. Obviously not analog. One, you know, one equals the other. Obviously it's a different Georgiou, you know, <laughs> primarily, but first and foremost. But, you know, Pete, here we are. Are, are we setting up another kind of pilot for the show again? <laughs> Uh, again, said with complete. Would this love be and the fifth pilot at this point? <laughs> uh, I think we, so. We've we've launched so many different incarnations of what this show is that do three or or four episodes, but it's it certainly kept it fresh, Matt. Um, as they walk through the ship here, there's there's welding going on. I almost thought they were in a Hydra base. <laughs> and uh, the explanation that uh, they had taken damage when they rode the mycelial shockwave before they uh, they returned to their universe here. Um, Burnham says, though, that she would offer excuses as to bringing Georgiou back. But the truth is she couldn't let her she couldn't watch her die again. And Saru points out that this could prove to be a grave error. And given the way that the episode ends, Matt, um, I can't tell you that my threat ganglia aren't a dangling right now. You know, Pete, there was a cat back in Elizabethan England who wrote a play that used the word grave a lot. And sometimes that ends up being grave danger resulting in death. So I wonder if perhaps they're uh, perhaps they're taking a little hint from uh, old Shakespeare there. 
Um, something else to keep track of in this episode is, and this isn't necessarily a criticism. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll chart my criticism or lack thereof as we go, but there's a lot of people bringing other people up to speed mm-hmm. on things. Yes. Um, we're, we're told again that there was this, uh, well, not we, the audience. And let me back up and say, I understand there needs to be info sharing from characters. And I understand sometimes it needs to happen in front of we, the audience, because literally Burnham has had no time on the ship and somebody needs to tell her about Tyler. Uh, and I'm not saying it's bad writing or good writing. Heck, if anything, Pete, I've heard that there are some weirdos out there who don't watch Discovery three times a week when there's a new episode. So, what? you know, I mean, joking aside, there's times where you also do need to hammer home certain things or you need to say, hey, remember that Tyler stuff we did two episodes? We need to talk about that now. Reactivate your memory or whatever it might be. But we have an up to speed here moment. Uh, indeed, they have attempted to excise the Klingon from Tyler. Who was this done by? By his torturer and handler. What? They were in on it together. Saru's hope that Burnham uh, will be a familiar face to him, and that may really reinforce the return of Tyler or show us all who he has become. Ooh, on top of the the news that there is no news from command that Federation ships are not answering their hails, which again uh, goes to that catch us up, catch us up via other characters type of situation that we have in this episode. Uh, and with the doctor, we're not sure if that is Dr. Pollard or not, uh, who comes to explain the information and that uh, Tyler is awake. Burnham asks if this is an order to go see Tyler in sick bay. And uh, indeed, when told it's not an order, almost by a slightly surprised uh, Saru, uh, shades of what you were discussing earlier, Pete, that they have recently been on the same team, for lack of a better word. Um, And now that there is conflict between them, he kind of almost can't quite understand why there's conflict here. But it's not an order, so she declines. Um, And it's at this point that the doctor, the new doctor, Pete, Tier, updates Saru that Tyler really really is tyler now there's a whole lot of medical wording it's it's med med uh, babble i don't know about that because when asked is he human or klingon she says neither both well <laughs> so here's here's what i need to happen in an episode despite the fact we're going to break it down in a moment and i think it is one way but when i hear a character who should know more than tyler say neither both i still don't know uh i need someone to draw me a picture I, I need a, a scanner situation where here was one, here's the other, here's now the situation. Because otherwise, it's still not clear what I'm looking at in Ash Tyler Vogue. So, Pete, are you asking for maybe Saru to find out for us? Even then, it's not <laughs> abundantly clear. Well, what it is, and if they want it. If they want to continue to explore the possibility of both, I'm I'm fine with it. It's just that whenever you feel it's one way, they yank you back in the direction that it could be the other. With a medical professional here saying he is neither, he is both. Separate, I mean, I totally agree, but separate from that, I also... Find my found myself while watching and find myself now 
sifting through my feelings of where I think they should go with the Tyler story. On top of it, what I think they should do with Tyler, like what I think Starfleet should do with Tyler, because I was expecting my 21st century platinum age of TV pound of flesh being required. And I could say, no, the handsome man, uh, he's being taken away from the star. Oh, there can't be any love. Um, but now, as you say, they're kind of, they're teasing that there's a possibility of his return later on. I don't think it's between now and the, um, the, the, the credits, but later on, there's kind of reference to, no, no, he's on his way out. He's never going to be in Starfleet again. So at least there's some story hint there. And, and there's I'm... a very interesting modern day um, analogy that's, that's used in this scene in particular. The subject of reassignment, Matt, I think is very thought provoking when it comes to what's gone on. They use the word twice in this. We've not had that before. And uh, intentionally or unintentionally, uh, there seems to be a comparison to the idea of gender reassignment of, you know, the, the trans communities, some representation here via race and identity. It, it's funny that you noted it was two times. I was, I was going to say they use it one time too many for it to not be making a point. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying it's one time too many because I don't want to have a discussion about gender reassignment. I, the, I'm glad Star Trek is bringing up mm -hmm. something. Well, I mean, th this is classic Star Trek, small, small C in the classic, um, to discuss a complex modern day thing, but to go, oh, Klingon, House Mokai, uh, spy stuff, but to have the discussion about. Are you referring to the uh, procedure, Matt, known as the Chuka, <laughs> which is uh, species reassignment protocol? Indeed, I am, but the point being. You call it you call it species reassignment protocol once. I call it Joka. Well, if you call it in the in the English uh, species reassignment, if you call it that once, then you're explaining what it is. If you call it twice, and in my mind, you're calling attention to the word reassignment. So they're not just going for this kind of complex psychological layer, and the fact that Vok put himself up for torture to become a sleeper agent, which, you know, Pete, very very old fashioned story. The notion of you know those Russian, I mean, Klingons having sleeper agents here to disrupt life here. Funny how things continue in full circle. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think also too, we're supposed to be having this discussion about, I don't know how I feel about Tyler as a character. I don't know how he fits into the story. Oh man, does that back into any bias I feel consciously or subconsciously about gender reassignment and things of that sort. And Again, I'm not trying to sound negative on that. I, I, I think anybody who uh, anybody who feels that their internal gender is different from their biological gender, that's 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 a heck of a road ahead of you mm -hmm. to sort all that out. And I'm not I'm not here to tell you one way or the other how to do things, but I'm glad Star Trek gives us that along with the choka or whatever it's called. Well, I think it's it's all in the dialogue here that he can ask access Vokes memories it's like watching someone else's life though and he was the test case uh to infiltrate classified starfleet intelligence and then the discussion of what they've done to him specifically even though we've seen flashbacks of it and there's been some talk before they flayed 
his skin, Matt. They cracked his bones open. They sawed his heart to pieces. Um, and you think that's over, he says. And then they're shaving down the tips of your fingers. So all things point to this is Boke's body with Tyler's consciousness grafted upon it. Yet we've repeatedly had contraindication to that. So I, I, I just I can't go all in on on what is there because I just don't know. It's still two beings. The the final shot we have after this scene, Matt, is uh, on the the uh, med bay wall of the two personalities um, and their readouts. I don't, I'm, first of all, you know, uh, you and I both have such uh, admiration at this point for, for the writing room. And, you know, I, I, I've been listening back to some of the older podcasts that we've done as I've been rewatching earlier parts of the season with, uh, with my parents and brother. And, you know, our, our questions back then, I don't think we were ever disrespectful, but our questions, you know, what's the flavor of the writing room that has long since been answered. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if it is a little writing oops a daisy that it has become a little unclear what's the Vok part, what's the Tyler part, or maybe that's, maybe that's um, intentional confusion. Uh, I, I, I have to fall at this point for me on the side of intentionality. That's why I, I, I bring it up so much and particularly the way that uh, Burnham leaves it with him at the end of this episode. I think this episode, and I did see some discussion out there on Twitter. You know, we didn't uh, watch it uh, earlier in the night last night. It was Super Bowl Sunday, and, you know, there's a lot going on. And then there was the Netflix reveal. Oh, hey, a Cloverfield movie comes out after <laughs> the Super Bowl. <laughs> so I, I downed that, and then I downed my discovery. And, and then today I'm, I'm ready to talk about my discovery. Um, but I think that uh, this is an episode that the people were down a little bit on. Okay. You know, you are transitioning to a finale that that's fine. And that happens. Um, but I think ultimately this episode is about trust. The number of characters, Georgiou, uh, Laurel and Tyler that we have to ask, do we trust them? Do we trust their intentions? Um, is the through line throughout. I think to, to wrap up the Vok Tyler stuff uh, first, um, the show has never not said Vox body Tyler's mind. I think maybe sometimes it's been delivered in a fast way where it's a little confusing. Again, that might be intentional. Maybe, Pete, there's even some kind of meta lesson here. Like it's not the body you begin with. It's the person on the inside. If that's, you know, if they're being confusing to really make you go, oh, wait, it doesn't matter that he's born Klingon. He can be, he can have a human uh, inside him, you know, and if we're going to then then um, transfer that to, to the gender reassignment discussion, okay, fine. That's, if that's their intention, that's really, really well done because they're not hitting you over the head with the gender stuff. It's just kind of Klingon weirdo spy stuff um <laughs> Klingon weirdo spy <laughs> Klingon weirdo spy stuff um as for people being down on this episode I think here's just the writing fact last week was 
the Mirror Universe finale, if you will. Next week is the season finale. This is the episode before the season finale where things get set up. That's just how it goes. It happens yeah. to be that last week's episode, Pete, when I rewatched that, I was more excited. That is such a great episode. I take back any of my finger wagging for that being a bit short because if that thing slowed down at all, then you wouldn't be out of breath at the end. I and mean, that was perfectly paced. This, you know, a longer episode, a lot of story stuff to chug through. Um, and, and, and as a consequence, they give us more episode, Pete. That really stinks. It doesn't fly the way the last one did. You know, it's like damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's just the episode before the finale where, if nothing else, I wrapped up this episode saying, I don't know that they wrap things up next week. I don't know. And yeah, I don't know either. Be. At one point in, in this episode, I'm like, all right, we're going to Kronos. They're going inside Kronos. Oh, wait. <laughs> um, yeah, so there there is much to do. The same way, Matt, this procedure uh, that Voke as the, the torchbearer, he willingly submitted to and at Laurel's behest, uh, they were the only true believers left and they believed that by undergoing this mission, they would be able to capture discovery and bring followers back to Takovma's house. Something we'll find out in a couple minutes uh, is really needed within the Klingon Empire right now. Oh, yes. And he, Voke and Laurel were in love. So, hmm, end of this episode, Burnham breaks up with Tyler there's a, a scarred face female Klingon in the brig. This guy may or may not have a, a, a Klingon frame. I think that's keeping all your options on the table. <laughs> yes, yes. Which, which is okay for the penultimate episode. Yeah. That's, you know, we don't need to commit to a ton of things here. Uh, we do get some more info sharing, some more catch me up. Um, the the idea that uh, that Burnham is alive, even though Vok Tyler tried to kill her, uh, so now all parties are aware of who's alive and what's going on. Um, and Saru concludes that Vok is guilty of those crimes, and Vok seems gone. Um, he's then given an Apple Watch, Starfleet edition, <laughs> um, which restricts his movement but allows him freedom. Something I'm not crazy about. At, just I don't know me as. Me as faux Starfleet guy, whoa, 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 this guy should not be walking around. But me now, as... Now, was that the engineering division and you talking? Because it doesn't sound like it. Did you well, change specialties? Pete, Are you in security now? That's the engineering wearing... division. <laughs> that, it's the engineering specialist in me saying, this guy can't be walking around. Next thing you know, he's going to take you know, a, a, a plasma torch and some isolinear chips and create a bomb out of it. But then let me step back further and say... It's been so long on Discovery since we have seen the good, the good Federation. And that's why I've been glad to be watching uh, some Star Trek Enterprise in the week. I mean, like six episodes where despite its other strengths and weaknesses, which we can discuss, you know, during the Discovery break, there's this wide eyed sense of, wow, we just want to go out and meet people hey, we're new to space. Do you want to be friends? And just that <laughs> that thing that isn't even as codified when you get to Classic Trek or come next generation, people know, okay, Captain, you need to get ready to give your no uh, trans uh, translator speech, you know, that Picard, that Picard does so well. Um, there's the, 
this uh, enterprise, you have this sense of if we're just good to people, if we're good to them aliens, them aliens are going to be good to us, man. Peace and love. Welcome, you know, peace and love from Earth. And that's what uh, Tyler is getting here, albeit from Saru, who's not human, but representative of that Federation. We come in peace. And you know what? Here's your Apple Watch. You can't go to engineering. You can't go to the armory. You can't go to the bridge. But you want to go get lunch? Go get lunch, man. You want to go in the private room and go, you know, cry as you look out the window? That's okay, too. Peace. Well, Matt, we in the command division, you know, like Saru and myself, our, our evolved sensibilities allow people to wander with their Starfleet security Apple Watch so that we can keep tabs on them. We will <laughs> not take their freedom. But we will go, you know, where we command division people go, Matt, to the bridge where uh, we have a Federation signature here that uh, is preparing to respond to them. However, wait, Awokashun tells us they have their shields up, their phasers are targeting them, and they are boarded via transport, Matt, by some of the aliens we saw in the mirror universe now in the Federation, the Andorian, who we later get a name for, the Tellarite is there, and they clear things for uh, Admiral Cornwell and Sarek to come over. Uh, Cornwell also brandishing a phaser right at Saru, and she has Sarek do his thing. I love that the resistance in the mirror universe is the resistance here. It's mm -hmm. just, I mean, it makes so much sense and how easy it would have been at every single level to a not think of that or b be like uh, you know what we don't really need six extras in makeup could just be like sarek and cornwell and assorted extras show up with phasers it it, it, it look like, like the symmetry is beautiful yes. i oh, mean yeah. you go back and look the number of times matt it's it's like holding up a mirror oh man um, it, but indeed, uh, Sarek is asked to, uh, to check Saru. My notes, by the way, say Saru mind melds to Saru. Um, a lot, a lot of essays here, but, uh, Sarek checks the story as times require. Uh, the conclusion is that Saru is who he says who he is. And the discovery has been through an inconceivable ordeal. Also Lorca update. He dead. Or is he? Uh, we hit the uh, the title sequence, concluding with the script by Lisa Randolph and episode director David Solomon. I particularly appreciate the beginning of the first act here, Matt, where that bastard Lorca's bowl of fortune cookies gets blasted into oblivion by a spurned Cornwell. Yeah, Pete, Cornwell perturbed most of all at herself. Sarek, though, gives her a pass, speaking out loud what her concerns must be. This idea of evil twin from another universe is not the usual go-to explanation. So the fact that you didn't see it coming, NBD, as the kids text on their Star Trek communicators. Um, also, Pete, a little info dump here. The ISS Discovery was blown to pieces by the Klingons, so that's handy. Pete, I would like to request now to any... Star Trek Discovery cast or crew that might be listening. Let's get the let's get the in between seasons one and two. Let's get the web short, five, six minutes, maybe even shorter than that. 
of the ISS Discovery appearing in this universe, all proud of themselves, and then soiling their uniforms as, you know, five Klingon vessels come on in. What, the Klingons aren't supposed to be here? And they just get, they just get Klingon handled by the Klingons and blown to smithereens. Oh, we're going to talk all about that uh, when we talk some theories later on. The info dump, though, Matt, continues with uh, not only the status of ISS Discovery, but the status of the war here. Um, that uh, with Lorca sidelining the Federation's most vital asset by bringing it to his native universe, um, things have flipped back in favor of the Klingons, even though they have disseminated the cloak-breaking algorithm to the front lines. They fear it's too late. And then a series of star dates, Matt, 4789.6, the Klingons uh, detonated hypothermic charges in the Kel-4-6 uh, atmosphere, burning it off, killing 11,000 civilians instantly. Stardate 4851.5, a cloaked raider tails the USS Saratoga. You may recognize that ship name, you know, from when there be whales there in Star Trek Four. That was one of the ships that uh, was left to drift by the um, by the uh, intruder uh, that was making the whale music that we never um, got a name on that uh, black captain, Matt. There's a lot of fan theories that Burnham is uh, captaining the um, the Saratoga because that, that captain never gets named. Uh, By the way, there's the, also a, there's a later Saratoga that's uh, destroyed at the Battle of Wolf 359. So uh, to any future Starfleet officers listening, please don't name any more ships Saratoga. It's bad <laughs> in every universe. But uh, Starbase 22, um, that was a suicide attack, antimatter uh, from the Raider uh, detonated. And there were similar incidents at Starbase's 19 and 12. The result, they've lost a third of their fleet. Their research outposts at border colonies at Navala, Septra, and Iridian are destroyed as well. And there's even children who are now orphans, Matt. This is not good. So obviously, Discovery's arrival just in time, even though we've been told too late. I suppose I'm a little confused then why the last episode ended with them saying, I know the map was slightly different, but them saying, you know, there's no Federation to call us back. There's no Federation to hail. And the, the map was, you know, we saw the Klingon uh, front lines grow and grow and grow. There was a corner that was still Federation. Um, but to leave us last episode with, they're all gone, essentially, to... Uh, the Klingons have taken a whole bunch of space, but there are still entire pockets and there's an entire fleet and there's a command structure and earth is still okay. Um, Pete, that's not to take away from those fine people at star bases, 22, 19 and 12 and the other war atrocities. To me, it was just slightly kind of off message as to there is no hope, which Pete, Oh my goodness. Maybe this is not, maybe this is another time where it's not a mistake, but where they're trying to, temper our expectations this is occurring to me because last episode i was like 
all right, well, clearly they like clean this junk up and then go back nine months from now, so it never happened. But now if Earth has not been blown to smithereens, maybe they're like a discussion for later is, is this a time, is this going to get erased in time or is this the secret history of the Federation that we didn't know about? Um, again, the episode having it both ways, I suppose. Pete, this might seem illogical. I don't know, but Burnham notes that there is an illogic to how they are attacking. Sarek agrees there are now 24 enemies. That's your Klingon houses there fighting the Federation though they do retain a collective objective, destroy the most Federation assets. So certainly some shades there of, uh, you know, non, uh, non-traditional war, etc. So they're going to jump back to Starbase One immediately. All the evidence of the mirror universe, the Terrans, is going to be classified and destroyed. Remember, they changed their uniforms. They have all sorts of iconography of the the Terrans they need to get rid of uh, because Matt imagine if with the terrible losses that they're taking uh, your your daughter your uh, your wife your parents are alive somewhere else and technology exists to go there hmm we may not have seen the last of the mirror universe for discovery certainly not ever um well they're gonna if, bury if i us. may if i may i just read that as and that's why you young folks never heard of the never heard of all this before oh i'm not the... i'm not denying at all that's not the case but you know at some point with this successful uh a handling of the mirror universe matt these last several shows that they'll return at some point. I mean, there are people that still think that Lorca went into the mycelial network, which I think is still on the table. She declares, uh, Admiral Cornwell, her Gabriel is dead. We don't know that. And if there's a prime universe person who had a horrible Terran identity who could hack the mirror universe, it's probably prime universe, Gabriel Lorca. Totally agree. Tons of story options. Thank goodness, Pete, we have, uh, oh no, only one episode left. Well, Pete, the news, though, is getting worse. Yeah, they're going to jump to Starbase 1, and uh, as you said, they're going to erase all the proof of that mirror storyline, but Stamets says there aren't the spores to get to Starbase 1, so they're going to have to warp there. Um, oh, and there's one more update we cut to Burnham uh, introducing Cornwell to the Emperor. She is a happy host, that Emperor. I love how... Or George a guest. <laughs> no, the Emperor is acting as the host. You know, she... I, I suppose I will... I don't remember the exact line, but it's like, I suppose I will make the time to hear from you. She's acting like she's the host, despite the fact that she is imprisoned in this room. She's owning her bossness, even though she's not the boss of the situation. And... Pete, I don't know how you keep Mirror Georgiou on the show past next week, but darned if they're not making me want it. Yeah, she's a she's a slippery one. And uh, though Burnham has assured them that uh, she is in their universe without motive um, and there's a solution, send her home. They don't even know how they might be able to do that. Burnham wants to give her political asylum. She doesn't want to be protected, being the independent 
mirror universe character that she is and uh, that she's going to be held at Starbase One, albeit humanely, doesn't sit well with her. It's a it's a prison just of a different name. Um, and we have the uh, the Tyler Stamets hallway meeting right after this, Matt, where Tyler expresses his apologies for what he's done. He knows that words aren't enough and Stamets telling him that he killed the man he loves. Do you remember that? He does now and uh, asked if it guts him. It does. And I think the takeaway, the evolved takeaway, Matt, from Stamets, that maybe there still is some human in you after all. It's, it's a fine, fine acting scene for Anthony Rapp. And I mean, Pete, I'll read from my notes at the beginning of this scene, really, really not happy with this story decision. Uh, I'm reassessing that now. I mean, clearly the, clearly the story is drawing a line between Tyler and Vok and, and they're, they're giving us all Tyler here. I dare say perhaps, um, irreparably, irreparably. I, I don't know that you can say surprise. I was kidding. I'm still Vok. Ah, you know, I'm going to start killing people. Um, I don't know, but, but, but it, it, it is growing on me certainly. And, um, Tyler who had been just walking around then wanders into the mess hall, which becomes appropriately silent. Um, I, I even wondered, can't this guy just get delivery in his room? I was a hundred percent opposed to him having this level of freedom before in, you know, scenes prior to this and rewatching this and then. I mean, Star Trek then shines through. He sits by himself. We see Tilly, Detmer, and others looking on. But it's Tilly who goes to him. Tilly who, let's not forget, knows what it's like to have no one to sit with. That that elemental thing. Um, he says that she doesn't need to sit with him, that he's okay. She wonders how this could be true, that she's there for him. Mm-hmm. Detmer joins. Uh, and, and others join too, a reminder perhaps that we still have our ideals, our Federation ideals, our human ideals to fall back upon even in these dark times. This felt fundamentally the most Star Trek scene in this episode in that they're human beings and somebody wrongs you and obviously you 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 fa- feel that need to get them back, to hurt them back, to ostracize them and – Tilly is just such a kind and awkward soul that of course she's going to be the one to, to break uh, rank and, you know, as an ensign, not even an ensign as a cadet uh, to head over there. And and then uh, the only thing that took me out of this scene was it felt like so much of our regular bridge crew is there. It's got to be like third watch or something. (laughs) Hey, listen, somebody is the third best communications bridge officer and somebody gets you know the uh the the overnight watch there um we cut to the bridge and there might have been a little jump in time here i know that um it looked to my eyes like one of the bridge characters had gone from uh from the mess hall to the bridge uh by way of the cut if so that's fine time can go by in between cuts um starbase one comes into range but they can't get it on the hail uh seru's threat ganglia come out they finally get Starbase One on the screen, but Pete, there's a there's a camera trick here. They pause. They're not going to see the screen yet. Camera 
dollies up to the admiral we get dolly up to some other characters finally the re- uh, reverse shot is shown it has been largely destroyed uh certainly attacked a klingon crest painted on it there are 274 klingon life signs no uh none rather of the eight, 80,000 federation life signs now f- uh, found on it and uh, this is not looking good for old sb1 yeah, they had a large contingent of the Starfleet leadership as well as three ships. And uh, Cornwell freezes in this moment. Saru gets them out of there at maximum warp and uh, waiting for orders there. Uh, Cornwell finally comes with uh, maintain uh, contact with what's left of command before she heads off. We get an act break and come out of it in the hashtag Laurel cell. Put it on all your social medias, y'all. Laurel's just hanging there. She gets visited by Cornwell. Uh, Laurel says that she's So are you saying right now it's a Cornwell Laurel cell? Wow. Cornwell Laurel cell. Laurel well. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) Um, She's well even in a cage. Kalis hears her call. Uh, though she admits that maybe humans aren't completely spineless. Uh, Cornwell brings Laurel up to speed. Little info dump again. In fact, Pete, info dump is too too negative. I'd like to call it an info plasma transfer. <laughs> an injection? <laughs> Indeed. In, in, info hypospray? Um, she, yes, she delivers the verbal info hypospray. Your side, the Klingon side, is winning, but the unity is gone. The Starbase has the sign of one house, not the Empire. Whose house, Pete? Takor's house. Um, Lorel also says that Takovma taught um, taught that the Federation wants more homogeny. Uh, although Cornwell says that he was a fool, Pete, that's like saying that about what your top religious leader there. Um, how does the war end? Lorel says maybe the most sensible yet shocking thing said on the the entire series the war does not end the klingons have tasted blood and will not relent either conquer them or give up and it kind of was this moment of oh yeah that is a fundamentally klingon answer of course that's the case of course there's not going to be some peace accord that's a really scary proposition I loved this scene between these two actresses um, in part because of the only time we've ever seen Laurel contradict Takovma, who said that all humans were uh, without courage except Admiral Cornwell, given what she's seen out of her with her own eyes, Laurel has. And I want so much to trust Mary Chifo's delivery of this line here conquer us or we'll never relent but the way the camera lingered on her it it felt like please do this please do this so that you know we all come back to uh the the empire to to kuvma to kalis to all of that and it feels like georgiou given the plan uh you know toward the three-quarter mark of this episode knows that as well Speaking of Georgiou, we cut to the Emperor's stately prison room, um, and she's not concerned about being in a cell on Discovery or anywhere. She's a warrior who defeated the Klingons, and 
they need that information now, which that's when the light bulb started to go off. I mean, of course they had, a, of course the writing room had a plan, but it's like, oh, the plan starts to reveal itself. She's the only person who's ever defeated the Klingon Empire. The only person in this universe, uh, aside from the interdimensional Doctor Who like uh, um, uh, Lorca, who will return someday uh, in his magic box or whatever but i digress um burnham admits that she wanted to show the emperor a place of peace george you counsels that she uh she burnham saved the emperor because she couldn't save the other george i think both are telling the truth pete yeah and, and the use of language here calling her daughter not daughter and talking about the way that she looks at sarek the the familial connection there and how she's seen it before toward her um, and being told that regret weakens you um, is important, but ultimately comes with the information that that Klingons are cancer cells. They're constantly dividing. You have to destroy the tumor at its source. And that is, of course, Kronos, which she subjugated. And uh, Cornwell here awakened in the middle of the night there's a proposal and we give that to the rest of uh, Starfleet, uh, at least the group that now uh, passes for command with the losses that they've taken. We've had that Andorian Matt, who's known as Shakar. We have the, uh, the black uh, uh, Starfleet uh, personnel, uh, the, the woman whose name is Drake, who are named within this scene and they talk about what they need to do here, that they're, they're ready to gather uh, for an attack, these Klingons, um, for the whole system. And they all understand they need to take Kronos, but it's not going to be simple or easy. Yeah, the plan to take out the planetary defenses and uh, military installations, that's what the War Council is calling for. But command, you know, Pete, those the the suits that the suits answer to uh command has a different idea protect earth pete we've always known that starfleet and the federation had a very pro earth uh, slant to things now we see it now we see it really coming to the forefront here um sarek notes that the federation plans however have lost the war so this can i say alternative thinking pete or is that too controversial this certainly this mirror mirror perspective which is so outside federation thoughts which i guess is a fancy way of saying alternative um that it should be considered which i think is another kind of oh wow kind of moment that they don't know how to think properly against this enemy um command says that there's no map thus they can be blown out of the sky but twist pete they won't be in the sky yeah and here comes the plan now from burnham that chronos is essentially a series of now dormant volcanoes and caves so stamets says that they're going to find the ones that are big enough to house a crossfield class starship i.e the discovery and they're going to map from the inside out this pete is not Unlike navigating the mycelial network, uh, all of this, however, needs to be done with spores. So how can they do that quickly? Uh, Stamets tells them rather knowingly to set a course for the Veda system and to get ready for a show. Uh, in engineering, he pulls his original sample. It's the last of that mycelial strain. Uh, they're headed for a small forest moon. 
maybe called Endor. I don't know. <laughs> it, I know it's the Vega system. Veda. Veda. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Veda, Vader, Endor. <laughs> it's all connected. It looked like Tatooine, um, though. It, um, well, uh, Pete, until they grew all the forest stuff there, you come back in a thousand years, you might have teddy bears living there. Um, but they're going to it happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, but time loops in its ways. They're going to terraform it, Pete, this small forest new moon, which may or may not be where the second Death Star was destroyed. Um, they're going to terraform it uh, into a crop ASAP. Pete, is this science magic or science science? Well, whatever they do, he might even let Tilly name it, not Endor. Um, it was his counterpart, Strahl, who quashed the idea that they might grow the mycelium wild. He wanted to keep their crops captive, thereby having the monopoly on that. Um, so if ever there was a time to do this, it's now. And then we get this really portentous discussion between Sarek and Georgiou. You mean Papa Sarek and Mama Empress? Uh, they discuss their not child. She thinks that her Burnham was a brilliant flower, flower who made one error. Sarek says his Burnham beat that one mistake, Lorca, and therefore may be superior. Pete, you don't have a logic beaten discussion with Sarek and think you're going to walk away with anything other than a spanked hiney. Yeah, but there seems to be, given Sarek's exposure to this mirror universe, this is logic that's now on the table. Um, you know, we had that episode earlier in the year where the suicide bomber attempted to take him out and he was in the midst of, uh, you know, a, a mission as an envoy. He was going to go speak to Klingon command and ultimately that wound up saving him and was out how Cornwell was was captured by the enemy and led to her association with Laurel. So if anything, James Frain's um, Sarek has been opportunistic in the service of logic um, with with how he's pursuing these plans. He uh, he is told that in the mirror universe, Kronos is a speck of dust and Klingons beg for food. But that took more than a mapping mission, says Georgiou. Um, she's ready to show Sarek how it really can be done. Um, although Sarek again positing that the Federation won't go to Terran Empire lengths. Um, but Georgiou doubles down. She assures victory. Her only price, freedom. Blowing my mind, Pete. What do you mean? This isn't going to be a closed loop where they're going to kill her at the end of the season like they did at the beginning of the season kind of sort of anyhow we cut to Sarek explaining that he must go to Vulcan uh, he knows of Burnham's connection with the Klingon uh, some non-emotional finger wagging there I dare say uh, but also really I mean a really lovely moment supportive in it, yeah in it he sees grace in loving yeah. the enemy um, and, and he also notes love from her human foster mother and uh, he tells her not to regret loving someone and says goodbye. Just a really powerful moment. Yeah, and the, the farewell there, which she holds on to, uh, his, first his discussion that any farewell they might have in a time of war could be their last. We know that Sarek survives, at least in, in our timeline. Um, so that's 
taken away, at least on his end. I doubt or they're going to kill Burnham it? off. Well, uh, well, well, again, there's a reason we watch this show. Um, but then with the discussion that she has with Tilly, she confesses that, you know, it felt different. It felt final. And with all the war and the death that they've seen, um, Tilly asks if she's being naive that that she's seen so much as she has in Starfleet, only to have Burnham tell her that she's optimistic. Yeah, this idea that no one signed up for Starfleet to see war and death. Um, but Tilly notes that we can stop ourselves from becoming them by understanding the darkness and fighting it. Uh <laughs> Uh, very appropriate words and, and fight uh, the darkness within, I think is important too, as we segue to Tyler who needs Burnham. Yeah. She has shown compassion for Tyler, this new Tyler. And uh, she notes here as referenced earlier in the podcast that he has little of a future. He'll never fly for Starfleet again. He may end up in a lab or in a cell uh, and Burnham should say goodbye. If nothing else to end the act. Veda, Matt, or shall I say 800 kilometers above the surface there, our aft bay of Discovery opens and uh, ejected are these agri uh, transporters uh, with their boosters, kind of have helicopter blades slow them down and then land like uh, little, uh, you know, space capsules, really interestingly designed. Yeah, we see that ejection protocol. There are little fiery tails headed to the surface. Will the seed take hold is the question on everyone's mind. Uh, they arrive close to the surface. and They, they turn to little whirly birds. They send their, their pods deep into the ground. Uh, we see root structures start to form and fast. Tilly calibrates the EM darts. They all fire. Hey, look who's talking. The moon starts to grow up, 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 up upon itself, surging high and tall and straight, and those spores fly free. There they do. Um, I appreciated that they had the problem within this episode that they needed to grow more of them. Um, it, it felt a little quick, but again, techity tech, they're able to do this here. They hit them with the, with the EM darts after they've gone in, and then they watch the production grow from four percent all the way up um and then it's a nice catalyst into the next scene here where tyler's looking out on the the moon of veda there and uh burnham comes in and when he first starts to walk toward her she she backs up instinctually and that's where they're at right now and this heart to heart which eventually for the purposes of this episode and their relationship serves as a breakup. Um, I loved that she talked about that they made something beautiful today in a desolate wasteland where that had never seen life yet their relationship needs to end. Yeah, it's, it, it definitely is a well-earned scene, uh, emotionally. And, um, he, he's the notion that that he is making it too difficult for her is something that that Tyler uh, rebuffs a bit. He says that this is actually 
her looking for a way out, that their crewmates gave him sympathy, but she cannot reconcile the fact that she was with a Klingon, like the Klingons who killed her parents. Um, but she comes back at him, and she's, uh, all she senses is Vok's eyes now, the eyes of the man who wanted to kill him. So, I mean, a lot of difficult emotions to work through in this scene, and I think that it's appropriate that there's not that there's not kind of a neatly tied up emotional resolution by the end of it. So despite Matt, the idea in this scene a second time here that they need to reclaim life like she did after the battle of the binaries, which is punishing, which is solitary. Um, and, and tells, uh, Ash here that it's not easy to let you go yet. She does. Uh, the story then moves on to the ready room uh, where Burnham tells Sarek via holocall that the spore harvest is underway and then they're going to jump, uh, jump to Kronos ASAP. Uh, all agree that this is the plan to preserve their existence. Uh, Cornell, uh, Cornwell rather, uh, o- then opens a shipwide channel. They are fighting a foe without reason nor honor. These desperate times call for a mission to the Klingon homeworld to map it, um, to be the first to go there since Captain Archer 100 years ago. Pete, I watched that episode like in the last two weeks. <laughs> but good. But who will chart them there? Yeah, uh, introducing here uh, Captain Georgiou, who the way it's done on a, on a second viewing too, I was like, wait a minute, are there people on the bridge who don't know this is mirror Georgiou? There aren't, they all know they came from the mirror universe. So she's, she's selling this story to no one. She's telling them, Mm. okay, this is the company line that she was long presumed dead only to be rescued from a Klingon vessel. I think you have to take off leadership points for for uh, Cornwell a bit there, but um, regardless, Pete, the episode ends essentially back where we started. Captain Georgiou, Saru to the left, Burnham to the right. End of episode. Ahead of next week's season finale. Well, Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. No surprise here who's on it. Who's top of the list? That would be Emperor Philippa Georgiou here, Matt. Still a presence, still somebody to be reckoned with. And the way she navigates and manipulates her way through this episode, whether it's preparing to vaporize uh, acting Captain Saru, uh, right off the transporter pad, or even as she is a prisoner finding a way to get the upper hand. Uh, thank goodness for Michelle Yao and more of her past those first two episodes of this season. You know, there are some uh, events in, in shall we say, <laughs> the news in the last 18 months or so that uh, – People literally could not, people did not seriously conceive some of these events happening until they did. And how interesting that the show has doubled down first with what was thought to be Prime Lorca, then now with Mirror Georgiou, where twice the conclusion has been reached. We didn't think that we needed X, 
and now we do because we literally cannot we can't imagine needing a Lorca to fight the Klingons thank goodness he's here now that we're losing to the Klingons we need somebody who's even worse and I just I, I find so interesting this idea of we're so optimistic that maybe we're too optimistic and we can't protect ourselves from the people who don't share our point of view. It's an interesting evolution. You know, obviously there are the real world things that this writer's room has picked up upon and in true Star Trek fashion made it their own and used the, the metaphor and the, the poetic license to do so. But that twice now we've had these mirror characters who by their very nature are, are savage and uncivilized wind up in leadership positions of this very same prime universe ship. I, I don't think it can be, uh, you know, ignored. Who else is on our threat analysis, Pete? Well, of course, Lorel, Matt, though she's still cooling her heels in the cell, uh, Mary Chifo's performance of this character that I, I hope we don't have to say goodbye to, um, you know, with the with the Klingon storyline uh, alone, um, you know, really memorable. I think one of the one of the discussions to have about the show and, and through it we can discuss uh, Laurel is kind of where is this where is this show in regards to the modern TV expectations of how you end a season. Uh, I'm happiest with kind of and thus the chapter ends. You know, I think of Westworld. You know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert here. You don't come back from the end of that season one finale there's just no going back period and and things aren't going to start in the second season the way they did with the first i personally really like that it's kind of the complete meal next time is a related but but different meal um does that mean discovery has to do that i don't think so i mean do we need laurel wrapped up mirror georgiou wrapped up tyler wrapped up klingon war wrapped up all in next week's episode no, I mean, it would be nice. Um, <laughs> I also may may have to choke on my words of, what do you mean 38-minute episode? You know, if they land us with some, you know, 75-minute monster here that really does wrap everything up, that's that's possible too. But for Laurel, I agree with you, Pete. I fear that she will fade away. She's too good for them to let her do that. Um, how does this all fit together in one hour of TV? I don't know. But I think we're seeing more of her past this season. I I really hope so. Well, Pete, coming up on long range sensors, we got theories galore. Let me start with one, Pete. Particularly at given the amount of story investment that we've had in this episode, do we get a this is still the prime timeline, but we're gonna loop back and erase this all. And are we going to do that in one episode, the next episode? No, I, I will definitively say that. I, I do not think that that is the case. Let me hit you, Matt. And we got so many of these. It might be quick hits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th th this one's a little bit more involved. What is the long range Georgiou plan uh, from Cornwell 
uh, Sarek and uh, Starfleet Command. I mean, it certainly seems like they are floating the very unfederation, you know, destruction of Kronos. That I mean, that's what worked in the mirror universe was was reducing Kronos to a speck of dust. Now that, of course, is going to have canon people getting the whole palpitations because we know Kronos, not just any Klingon, anonymous Klingon homeworld. We know that Kronos makes it um, 30, 40 years into the future for the events of Star Trek VI. So on the one hand, they're, they're, they're hampered there. Now, if they do destroy Kronos, mind blown, what's this timeline, this, that, the other? Um, that may be some kind of story hint. But... I mean, it was it was hammered home to us um, by way of Burnham, still the good Burnham, saying we're going to target military installations and and things of that sort. It certainly seems like they they command needs to up up the ante quite a bit. Is Tyler his psyche on top of Voke's body? Is that definitively Matt the understanding we're supposed to have? I think that particularly on repeat viewing, that is definitely the the understanding we're supposed to have that there was that there was the the Vok flesh that was given uh, human reassignment, and then somehow through means I'm not entirely clear on. I don't even know if the story is entirely clear on. They you know they had the real Tyler somehow copied his psyche, placed it onto Vok, and now it has. Now, Vok presumably has been has been knocked away. Um, so, yes, that's my understanding that it's the the Vok hardware and the Tyler software. Can he be trusted? I think he can be trusted for as long as the story needs him. And if we haven't definitively killed off Georgiou, I mean, we've killed off the one, but if we haven't written out Michelle Michelle Yao at this point. And, you know, I think that we've said goodbye this season to Lorca, although it's an easy story return to get back Jason Isaacs. And we haven't killed off Laurel. Like, at some point, we need to give up the pound of flesh here. The story requires it, and I think it's going to be him, not by way of irreparable death, but by way of, sorry, you can't play here anymore, Starfleet only shuffle off, you know, to a place where you're not quite human, not quite Klingon, an uncertain future. I think that's where we're headed. The thing that sticks with me, Matt, is the Takuma doctrine, though, remaining Klingon. And I think given that we seem to be led down the path of this is a Klingon body with human enhancements, self identity, what have you, I think that's going to continue to be the, the war within as this episode is partially titled. Um, let's move on the Terrans and their discovery. Is it just me or do I have a hard time believing that the Terran empire would name a ship discovery? Shouldn't it be called the subjugation or conquest or something what are they discovering other than ways to torture people? Um, I think that's probably a fair point, except, you know, the, the mirror universe by its design is such a close 
copy to ours that, I mean, to me, that's just part of the fun, that it's not, you know, what if Nazis had nuclear weapons on the V2 rockets? Like, it's not this wild change. It's this very close thing where only certain things have have changed. Um, I'm okay with it being called Discovery. I mean, there's a there's an ISS Enterprise. That seems a little, you know, pedantic for go out and subjugate all, but you know, they named it that nonetheless. Cornwell here at at least two points in this episode, Matt really shows she's seen some stuff and some things blasting uh, Lorca's fortune cookies. And then coming to the assumption that her Gabriel is dead and then freezing up in a tough moment with Starbase one, is she going to make it? I think she's going to live no problem. I think that there, there, you know, there may be a point, there may be a point where she has to move on to another position. And that might be, you know, rear admiral back at HQ. Um, so not quite retirement, but just not kind of the frontline stuff. Um, amidst all the other things that next week's episode might have to do, conclude the Klingon War, wrap up Laurel, Tyler, uh, command situation on the Discovery, um, the war, if I didn't mention that, because the war is the biggest thing, uh, the situation of life and military installations, maybe all life on Kronos, etc. Um, I don't know to what degree they are... I don't I don't know what to, to what degree we will see a reshuffling uh, of the deck for season two my expectation before watching this episode was next week ends with captain Lorca uh, captain Lorca captain Seru first officer Burnham you know badge restored for services rendered um and our now familiar uh, uh bridge crew heading out into the great unknown I feel like that's off the table but at a certain point you can just move Cornwell to the back and that's that can we trust Laurel can we trust Laurel? Laurel has seen the promise of a united Klingon empire fall by the wayside, not because of the homogenous interlopers, not because of dirty humans, dirty Vulcans, dirty Andorians, dirty Tellarites, but because they simply can't do it. You know, they're just not capable, it would seem, to, to form a cohesive empire under this messiah. So I think that we might be able, I mean, I don't know what that means for somebody who's that religiously dogmatic. At what point do you realize you're the only one in the house of worship and nobody else does your thing? Does that make you give up? Does that make you stick with it? I don't know. Um, let's see, off the top of my head, Pete, maybe the Klingons need new leadership. Maybe she can make Kronos great again. Ugh, I, I think it's, I hope it's a possibility only because I just love what the character has done via the performance of Mary Chifo. Matt, did Burnham and Ash Tyler really break up? <sighs> again, I don't know because, and this is a credit again to the writers, I don't have a sense of pacing for next week. Um, I think they have, and I always worry, you know, if you're going to say, well, this is goodbye forever, then in the next episode say it wasn't forever. 
well, that gets old quickly. Can you do it? Sure. Um, you just can't do it too often, to, to paraphrase Ronald D. Moore. Um, I think they're in the process of saying their goodbyes and wrapping up that storyline, but I feel like the show has not completely committed to that either. And then lastly, Matt, with Georgiou getting the center chair at the end of this episode, can we possibly trust her? Um, we have seen her to be honorable. Mira Georgiou has a code of honor that is not anarchy. And if she has made this deal, which is I win the war, you give me my freedom, asterisk my freedom to maybe get back to the mirror universe you know they said it's impossible pete but all it takes is one quick last secret jump and then mr stamets we're taking away your machine for forever or you know we're, we're going to send you through this ion storm with the transporter it's all possible and i really really think that that sense of pride that we had with georgiou in the first two episodes we're going to we're going to find that again in her, in her mirror component, and find that she might be mirror bad, but she's still just as honorable. So I vote yes. With that, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. Pete, we start with an email from our pal Henry Perno, uh, who sent this uh, after last week's episode. Of that episode, he says that uh, this week, again last week, uh, Star Trek Discovery was a well-done episode that not only delivered a trippy return sequence, the return of a familiar captain and other payoffs, but the way Georgiou and Burnham discussed their relationship to their uh, Georgiou and Burnham makes me wonder if there's a whole multiverse of Georgiou-Burnham pairs similar to the Rick and Morty multiverse, uh, where there was a massive multiverse of Rick and Morty pairs. I don't know if there are other Star Trek universes beyond the Prime, Mirror, and Kelvin ones, as I've only seen TOS Discovery in the Kelvin movies. So if you, in all your Star Trek wisdom, think that's possible, please let me know, your listener, Henry. So your thoughts, Pete? I think Rick and Morty-izing this is problematic for a couple different reasons. I certainly recognize how important that brand is right now. I mean, geez, that was the most prevalent cosplay we saw at New York Comic-Con in the fall. But to suddenly make it, you know, I'll go back to Next Generation. There's that great episode where all of these enterprises keep appearing. You know, there's one where the the Borg have overrun them and Riker has a bushy beard and (laughs) – you know, they're they're just frantic, like, don't send us back. Don't send us back. The, all these enterprises keep popping up. Um, is there a precedent for that in Star Trek? There is, I think, across several episodes. Um, the idea that we might pluck out in as serialized a, a nature as Discovery, I, I think, is a disservice to story, particularly the story they are telling. Yeah, to my mind, Henry has hit on the only serialized timelines. We have some offshoots that then self-solve, like the Yesterday's Enterprise offshoot that then, well, gets solved in the end. Yes, there's the little, we can go spoiler on this, it's like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. You know, the the notion of future Tasha Yar going back to the non- um, 
non-time split past, um, I guess creates somehow a second timeline, but that's not really, that's not explored as a parallel thing. That's just, that's just something that happens organically in the main timeline. So, um, it will be interesting moving forward to see if the show continues to play with these parallel universes. You know, we were talking last week about our our possible expectation at the end of last week of they end up in the future or they end up really jumping around time. So is that something that happens? Um, time will tell. Matt, we had a message to Facebook from uh, Dan, the webmaster. And Dan writes in, Pete, 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 what's the point of next week on Star Trek Discovery? To cushion the blow of having to wait seven more days, uh, seven days for more. Okay, perhaps. To make me call all my friends to watch the show? Don't think so. To spoil large slash medium slash small plot developments so that surprises I see next week don't shock me to death? Well, I doubt my family could capitalize on a lawsuit there. These previews serve very little purpose, and I agree 100% with Matt. They make me reach for the Roku stop button fast. More than anything else, the best thing Star Trek Discovery could do would be to get rid of them. I How do I put this nicely, Pete? I think that CBS All Access's understanding of how people watch TV, uh, how people watch after shows, how people watch uh, previews, etc. Probably this has been uh, an evolving experience. Um, and um, yeah, I'm not paying per month to not forget to watch. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, one thing if it's like, oh man, was it a new Grey's Anatomy tonight? Well, I did have, you know, bocce ball. Like, no, 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 I'm putting down money. I'm not going to, you know, if I can watch it on Sunday, I'll watch it on Sunday. If life gets in the way, I'm going to watch it. I don't need to be prompt. I don't need to be, I don't need to be prompted for next week. I'm, I'm too literally financially invested in the show. <laughs> um, I'll mention this, Pete, going back and watching the older episodes, they do not have previews. Um, huh. yeah. By older, I mean they Star Trek Discovery. Right, they take it out because you're you're not. But wait, oh, going for next week, that kind of thing. I mean, but, I see. But, but wait, Dan's... hold on. But aren't you like? What's the right, logic of it? Right, but you can watch being... them all now, and I I think that's where I get to my point, Matt. You know, I can't help myself. Uh, knowing everything I can about these before they air and coming up, and I I think it's why studio and and network secrecy is the way it is today i mean there are people today matt who are like lando calrissian is in the star wars han solo movie what and donald glover is playing him and here i am over here like uh i'm already at the point of the summer that donald glover is now an international super duper star because it's essentially his movie and he owns it it has been so interesting to to be rewatching Discovery with my parents and brother. Um, my, my brother, who after we started watching it, now is watching faster than their own rewatch. But he's kind of doing he, it's his own third timeline. But to kind of see with my parents, who let's just look at Colbert and Stamets for a second, um, they certainly don't have any you know uh, 
any, any objection to homosexuality. That said, I don't think in that first episode where they're both brushing their teeth, I don't think they're picking up what the show is laying down that like these are two dudes who live together and that means yeah. that's because they really like each other in a huggy, kissy, romantic kind of way. Everybody brushes their teeth. Yeah, but but I don't think to them it was like, but everyone brushes their teeth at home. So, and then now we've gotten to music to make the saintest man go mad or whatever it's called. It's a lovely title. I just can't remember it. Um, I'm watching it through their eyes going, they might not have picked up on the toothbrush stuff. They haven't been immersed in this. Hey, we've cast this actor. Hey, we've cast this other actor who was with him in rent. Hey, they're playing a couple. Hey, first gay Star Trek couple. Like to them, it's just two guys who brush their teeth together. Then in a couple episodes later, the one guy says, Oh, I'm sorry that my partner has, uh, gotten in your way and it's uh, i'm kind of waiting for this moment for them to go oh they're gay with each other i see like they're living outside this spoiler free realm which is really really interesting because i thought i was outside it but i've i saw all the pre-production news um so i guess it's just it's levels pete it's levels well like i said to uh dan the webmaster i get his point um, the coming attractions are not for everybody. I watched uh, Matt here on the other end of the microphone attempt to tell me he didn't watch any of the preview material for uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi or hummed his way through it or whatever. That's fine. You can you can make up whatever narrative you want. Um, but I think the the thing that's taken hold, especially since common practice today is that trailers or previews are rarely cut by the directors or showrunners or people involved from a story standpoint. So there are things I know with the last Jedi, again, for instance, they had to put certain things as being off limits for any kind of promotional material. Um, that being said, Matt, spoiler Pete got to eat. <laughs> Pete, still sticking with some uh, some mail from last week, got an email from our pal, Dr. Bob. Uh, he says, I listened to the first 58 minutes of your Discovery podcast on the drive this morning and was uh, thrilled to hear a brief Beatles mention. I just finished teaching a course on the Beatles at wow. Calvin College, where I teach. We have a January Ooh, term. Calvin College? <laughs> Calvin, Pete. Oh, oh, I thought it was Calvin. <laughs> okay. G good news, Pete. J.J. Abrams didn't ruin college for Dr. Bob. Um, uh, anyhow, at Calvin College, where I teach, we have a January term. And for the past six years, I've taught a course on the Beatles. I'm a musician and grew up in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And as a nine-year-old, experienced the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Wow. I've been studying them ever since. Side note, Pete, we're coming up later this week to the, uh, the Ed Sullivan anniversary, um, which yeah. is February 8th. Uh, he says, Bob does, I too tag Revolver as their best album, but just recently have spent extra time with Sgt. Pepper for a presentation I did, and my estimation of it went up, if that's even possible. I also, uh, I also though, think the case could be made for the White Album and Abbey Road and Rubber Soul and A Hard Day's Night. Which one is, uh, is Yellow Submarine on? <laughs> oh, Pete. Oh, because whatever one that is, that's my favorite Beatles song. Oh. And, you know, so that, that I don't have them by album. I don't Got have it. those albums. I have just songs from greatest hits or 
or what have you. But yeah, it's funny that Bob brings that up. There is a definite, I mean, listen, you can make an argument. It's the most influential band in all of music history in the Beatles, but there is a, a through line Morgan Gendel who wrote arguably one of the most, uh, popular Star Trek episodes of, of all time in the inner light, um, is a massive uh, Beatles guy as well. So something uh, with these uh, writers in particular as far as their appreciation of the Beatles. Well, Bob, uh, thanks us for the great podcast, and thanks you too, Pete. That brings us to like the current timeline. Let's uh, talk about the poll that we ran on Twitter. Uh, done watching this week's monster, Star Trek Discovery. Share your thoughts via reply and vote your number of stars for Georgiou my three Tyler talk two. what's the timeline. And then one Pete, I will admit I was still stung by the enterprise feedback. I got, we'll discuss later, uh, you know, maybe in a month or so, uh, the one star vote was no Rick Berman. No way. Um, <laughs> Pete, there were zero one star votes and there got, should be zero one star votes. There were eight, percent uh two star votes 13 percent three star votes and 79 percent four star votes uh some of the feedback we got pete one was from the aforementioned bob keely who said i gave it three stars not because it wasn't epic but i've come to expect epic from star trek discovery and this week felt like a lot of setup for next week and then one more tweet from anna banana that's at anna underscore vacuum Love her so. This is in response to the uh, the Georgiou uh, gift I put in there. Love her so. Glad she's back in Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, certainly as long as we have her, and and you have to hope there's there's a way that can continue. But heading towards a finale, you can't help but feel uneasy for these characters. Even though we've we've learned not to get attached, it's. Game of Thrones was the the mantra that, you know, anybody could go at any time and there will be death and change and turnover. I think there are characters who are far safer than others. We'll just have to see. Well, Pete, last but certainly not least, let's go to the subspace relay system. A message sent while we were podcasting all the way from the Netherlands. And it is it is the fan favorite Fred. Hail Captain Georgiou, hail Super Bowl, hail Matt and Pete for being football fans. This all leading to the fact that I can give my feedback on an episode for once in time, instead of just about the episode of last week. This is Fred from the Netherlands, who promised not to give feedback anymore. I give the episode a 9.7 out of 10, which is the highest score I gave in a long, long time. Great plot development, great explanation of a lot of questions we had, great emotional scenes, great acting of all main actors. And great lighting again. As for the last three episodes, I will make a series of so-called Fred's Beautiful Lighting screenshots, which can be seen at Petrified underscore Fred on Twitter. One of my shots of episode 12, by the way, was taken by Mary Chifo, who plays Laurel, as her Twitter page header photo, which is, I think, quite cool. You have to go to at Mary the Chief. Too many great interpersonal scenes to pick from, but one I liked a lot was Giorgio's smug face 
when she was allowed to take command of the Discovery. On the other hand, her face looks more friendlier. Kudos to the makeup department and Michelle Yeoh for changing so much with so little. Great interactions were Sarok and Georgiou in Georgiou's room, Stamets and Tyler in the corridor, Tilly and Tyler in the mess hall, Sarok and Michael when Sarok is leaving the discovery, Saru and Tyler in the sick bay, Cornwell and Laurel in the break, Tilly and Michael in engineering. So, so many good scenes. What struck me was when Cowell discovers that Starbase 1 is taken over by the Klingons with 80,000 deaths. And she is completely devastated by it. And that Saru does not hesitate to simply ask, Admiral, Discovery awaits your orders. I have one nitpick. Where did Sarah go by transporter to Vulcan? Is that close enough? That was all for now. Last quote, get ready for a show. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Hail Super Bowl indeed, um, Fred. And uh, I will take the fall for our, our one-day Super Bowl hiatus. But boy, if I didn't pick the one for us to watch with the most offense in the history of the game and the underdog winning and the city of Philadelphia now being on fire. <laughs> Ah, uh, Pete, Pete, if only you could sit across the table from a Philadelphia Eagle fan while he while he eats his nutritious space burrito and you eat your nutritious space burrito, perhaps you can find what Tilly found, what Detmer found, a little something called humanity. But Fred, your your your, your uh, message was gold, absolutely wonderful, and. Um, Keeping track of the wonderful, uh, the wonderful lighting shots as you have the, the, the wonderfully well lit shots as you have done. Uh, and Mary Chifo has noticed and changed her her profile to uh, to fit it there. So quite an honor for uh, for Fred from the Netherlands. It, it makes me want to say hail Admiral Fred. In all honesty. <laughs> um, Commandant. Fred. <laughs> indeed. Um so just just wonderful, wonderful thoughts and feedback there. We always appreciate hearing from you, Fred. Absolutely. And Fred and all of our patrons to Patreon.com give us an added layer here, Matt, against of, of protection against the Klingons or whomever it might be. They help keep the warp engines running, the spores are growing, all the things here at uh, Fantastic Geek Headquarters that we need to bring you these podcasts. Yes, always appreciative that people have checked out uh, patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, whether for the first time or, uh, or, or continue to do so for some of the goodies that we have there. We'll be working on some goodies uh, in the next couple of weeks that are, that are going to end up exclusively there. But Pete, the best thing is always free. That's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,768 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. 
email fantasticgeek at gmail.com comment at fantasticgeek.com uh check us out on twitter and instagram where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word matt we have had a decided uptick in likes over the past several weeks coming back out of uh the the hiatuses between star trek discovery agents of shield which is now gone quiet again for a little bit uh we'll be doing black panther we got jessica jones coming back on for season two on netflix so the discussion is always on facebook indeed the star trek discussion has at least two more weeks uh to it we of course will be uh discussing the season one finale next week but don't forget the week after that for sure we will do a season one wrap-up episode so whether you're looking back at the season as a whole or looking ahead to next season keep that feedback coming in with that pete i will say i'm gonna get me to a mirror universe and give you the final word we are at war logic dictates Each farewell could be our last.